Hey, this is Alan Lilienthal, and you're listening to Port of Entry, where we tell cross-border stories that connect us. Today's show is going to kick off a recurring series that we call Border Voices. These are going to be shorter bonus episodes where we bring on people who identify as fronterizo or transborder, transnational, or simply just have had some kind of interesting relationship with the U.S.-Mexico border. In this first one, we're going to lift the curtain on our production process and introduce you to someone who helped us in one of our past episodes about how the Black Lives Matter movement crossed the border. All right, let's get to it. I'm Fronteriza. I grew up here at the border. Paulina Olvera Canes is the director and one of the founders of Espacio Migrante. That's a migrant shelter and nonprofit in Tijuana. I have always been interested in the issue of migration because when I was younger, me and my family moved to California when I was in sixth grade. Then we moved back to Mexico. I studied international relations, but since I started living in Tijuana and actually crossing every day, I started um, wanting to get more involved in, in migration. Right now, Paulina is working on getting her master's degree in Latin American studies in San Diego and running Espacio Migrante in Tijuana. So Paulina helped connect us with the Black migrants we talked to in our episode about how Black Lives Matter protests got going in Tijuana. Alongside those Black migrants, Paulina is one of the driving forces behind the growing racial justice movement there. Over the past few years, Black migrants from Haiti, Cameroon, and other places hit by economic, environmental, and political turmoil started showing up at our border, looking to claim asylum in the U.S., but new policies from the Trump administration have made it harder and harder for anyone to make a successful asylum claim. So lots of migrants got stuck in Tijuana. And Paulina found herself right in the middle of an unexpected humanitarian crisis, helping the city's new migrant population stay safe. It took us by surprise in Tijuana. I think the city, even people that have been involved in migration for a long time, didn't expect hundreds of people coming and with different challenges because it was the first time that we had complete families arriving to Tijuana. And also for us, it was also the first time that we had migrants from from Haiti or even black migrants. It's the first time that we had a different population in Tijuana. And I think that's what got us like 100% involved. So before this large wave of Haitians arrived in Tijuana in 2016, there were just eight migrant shelters in the city. Paulina says that the number more than tripled in just a few short months. Paulina's Espacio Migrante shelter is one of those newer ones that popped up to help provide homes for the city's newest arrivals. We just saw a big need in general. Like, we saw a lot of shelters opening up, but that didn't have the basic things. So we were just trying to support those shelters. And when we actually got our own place, Some of the challenges were, of course, funding, but also discrimination from neighbors and from other people in the city. We even lost our previous space because of the neighbors. They didn't feel comfortable with all these people or all these families in their neighborhood, that they were troublemakers. In the following months, we actually looked for a space. We originally wanted a house where we could have like a backyard and and have a little shelter, but most people wouldn't rent to us because the moment we would say it's for migrants, they would say, no, we don't want to rent it to you. (laughs) 
Recently, Paulina has been recording in-depth interviews with migrants in Tijuana for her grad school thesis. She says she's heard a story after story of the racism and discrimination they've had to face here. From the conversations we've been having, they've encountered a lot of racism too, a lot of struggles. It's like a more hidden racism, but that's why sometimes it's even harder to point it out because, for example, we've seen that like nobody's openly saying racist things against Haitians, but at the same time, they are racially targeted by the police and Guardia Nacional, or they, they are discriminated by companies in Tijuana. Even when they have documents, they don't get hired. Or I've even talked to some of them that say people don't even want to rent an apartment to them or, or a house. So they, they feel racism, but um, I think the difference is that the U.S., of course, has a, the history of slavery and, and Jim Crow, but at least it's a conversation. It's really sad because like one of the threats has been the municipal police. And that's because uh, they usually harass uh, migrants that are in Centro. So we've had people from our shelter that are trying to go out to work or to buy something from the store and that they get stopped and uh, harassed by the police. They were targeting migrants in general, but of course, if they saw a black person, that person would get stopped and, and harassed first. So I think all of them have experienced racism in, in different ways. Back in June, activists in Tijuana and Mexico City reached out to Paulina and asked her if she wanted to help get the Black Lives Matter movement going in Tijuana. And Paulina didn't blink. Even with grad school, being a mom to a young son, and running a full-time shelter, she said yes to taking on the extra load of organizing a protest, in part because of a recent event at the shelter that shook Paulina to her core. Stay with me. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. The police was chasing after a vehicle and they decided to open fire in front of the shelter. So there was a bullet that entered our office. Right next to our office is a clinic and there was a mom with her children from the shelter there. And then upstairs in the second floor was everybody from the shelter. So we have surveillance video cameras and we saw and it was just really, really sad to see the video because the when they heard the gunshots, they automatically grabbed their kids, threw themselves on the floor. So we weren't there in person, luckily, but it was just really hard to see that. If the police had been in front of a school or a fancy hotel 
or basically any other type of business aside from a shelter for migrants, Paulina says she doesn't think the police would have been so quick to open fire. The shooting also came in the wake of the death of a black migrant in police custody in Tijuana back in January. Paulina felt like it was time to do something. So she reached out to black migrants who've become leaders in the community and asked if they'd be willing to take a stand. It's been really interesting and also a challenge because in the group there's people that speak only Spanish, only English, or only French and Creole. We started having conversations uh, with them and most of them were like very in support of Black Lives Matter, but they were also kind of scared to go out on protest for different reasons. One was of course the coronavirus, so that's why we tried to organize a small protest and say uh, we're gonna make sure that we socially distance and that we don't put anybody at risk. But the second reason was also documents, because um, a lot of them don't have documents in Mexico, or even if they do, they can easily get stopped and then turn over to INAMI. INAMI, by the way, is basically the ICE of Mexico. They handle immigration enforcement and deportations. So there was a lot of interest, um, a lot of people that like are in support of what's happening in the U.S., but some of them decided not to go out into the streets and protest for those reasons. But others overlooked those risks and did it. They helped organize a protest. And at noon on Saturday, June 14th, Paulina and about 50 other people showed up to the city's first ever Black Lives Matter protest. Some of them were black leaders from Haiti, Cameroon, and Ghana, and others were people from Espacio Migrante and from other organizations like Al Otro Lado, Haitian Bridge Alliance, Pueblos Sin Fronteras. And uh, we also had artists from Tijuana uh, that joined the protest. And it was really cool because they helped us to do a lot of signs that were very beautiful and had the, the message. Uh, in Spanish, English, and also in Creole because of Haitians. So we, uh, we focused on the testimonies, and then after that we started chanting, and we had a speaker and we started putting music and, and dancing. I think that's something that I really like too about some of the events and things that we have done. We have a phrase that we like, which is resiste gozando. It's like resist joyfully. The intention was that to visibilize it and to try to continue building like that connection between immigrants' rights and, and racial justice movement. We, we were also, uh, of course, inspired by Black Lives Matter in San Diego and um, one of the organizers from Black Lives Matter in San Diego is a board member in Espacio Migrante. Her name is Christina Griffin. And ever since she joined our board, she has been trying to make that connection and say immigration is also a black issue. So she's been really like great at, at doing that. And we were just kind of inspired by what they are doing in, in San Diego too. In October, Paulina and others helped organize another protest at the border, actually on both sides of the border fence in both Tijuana and San Diego. So we're asking 
that we stop the inhumane attack on the asylum process in the U.S. It is inhumane and it is illegal. The protesters called on the U.S. federal government to reopen the asylum system, which grinded to a near halt back in March when the pandemic hit, leaving lots of very vulnerable people stuck in Tijuana and depending on Paulina's shelter and other migrant shelters for their survival. The reality is that thousands of black migrants that are in Tijuana are actually trying to be asylum seekers in the U.S. Like they're trying to seek asylum in the U.S., but the Trump administration has been creating all these policies that have made the asylum system not work at all. And especially right now, because uh, since March, the U.S.-Mexico border has been partially shut down for non-essential travels, and that includes asylum seekers. So the U.S. didn't even consider asylum to be an essential matter. To connect with the Black Lives Matter movement in Tijuana, reach out to Paulina and Espacio Migrante at espaciomigrante.org. And if you want to share your border story, we'd love to hear it. Call 619-452-0228 and leave a quick voicemail telling us who you are, where you live, and how the U.S.-Mexico border has changed your life. I'm your host, Alan Lilintal, and you can find more Port of Entry episodes online at portofentrypod.org. Thank you.